0: God, Ephesians chapter number 5, verses 1 and following. The first in this sermon series is entitled, Walk as Children of the King. Walk as Children of the King, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God as dear Children, let us pray. Father in heaven, my prayer is that you help us to see uh, ourselves as your children. Father in heaven, I pray that we today would see you as our father in heaven. It's so cliche. It's trite. It's said so often uh, that we forget what that actually means. God, I pray you would break our hearts, break up the heavy fallow ground that has, that has grown dry and, and dense and help us to see the truth. We are your children, children of the King. and We are to live and love and light the world from this truth. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me so I can speak your word. Do in me and through me, what I cannot do, and that is help your people. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Children uh, tend to look and act like their parents. There's one such child that runs around this building every single Sunday and almost every day, and when I see this child, it's like deja vu. You see, some of you may know this, some of you may not. One of my dearest friends growing up was Pastor Fred Murray, who's the EP or executive pastor here at Southern Hills. We grew up together since we are four five years old. And as we did, uh, he was a particular type of person, and so was I. And we still are very particular types of people. And not always the same in every way, and not always see every issue the same. And that's what makes us great friends, loyal, and love each other. Yet we see the world differently, though we follow the same Lord. You know what's a lot of fun for me is to watch as Fred grows up all over again in the form of this little boy named Shepard. See, when you see Shepard here at Southern Hills, you are looking at little Fred growing up. I mean, he is a mirror image, not just in the way he looks, but in the way he interacts, in the way he laughs, in the way he talks. Even this morning, I was laughing about this. I, I, he ran by me this morning, little, little Fred, you know. His name is Shepherd. Little Fred runs by. And I'm like, hey, Shepherd, how you doing? He said, do you know what I'm doing today? I said, what are you doing today? He said, tomorrow I'm going to camp with Kidopolis. I said, man, that's so exciting. He said, yeah, I really can't wait. He said, um, he said, pastor, I'm, I'm really excited. I said, I said, Shepherd, do you have money for camp? And he said, what do you mean? I said, the snack shop, and the souvenir shop, they have a lot of stuff. You need to get money to spend at camp. He said, I do. He said, I already have $10, and my brother gave me $3. I have $13. I said, it's not enough. <laughs> Just this morning in the hall. I said, that's not enough. He said, what do I do? I said, you go to your dad and say, hey, Chipo. <laughs> your friend, Pastor Josh, told me to have you cough up another $10 bucks for camp. I said, there are t-shirts there, man. You want a t-shirt? And he looked at me, he said, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. (laughs) So he's going to run over to his dad and call him cheapo and ask for money. (laughs) This is the best thing that's happened to me all week, man. I'm excited (laughs) about this. It's fun watching friends and their little ones raising up to be just like them. So God is your father. Um, Eight times in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is trying to make this point. Eight times he refers to you as the children of God. Eight times he refers to me as a son of God. Eight times he's trying to tell the Ephesians that they are no longer simply Roman citizens, that they are now citizens of another kingdom, but not simply citizens of another kingdom, princes and princesses of that king. And if they are indeed part of that family, they probably should look, act, walk like their father. Isn't that what it says right here? What should I do as a child of God? Well, as a child of God, number one, you should walk in love. Look at what it says, is it not what it says? Look at what it says. Look at the text, Ephesians 5 and verse one. It says, therefore, based on everything we've already studied, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. He's not saying imitate God because you're like little uh, little uh, humans. He's saying imitate God as children of God. It's related to the seven other passages in the book of Ephesians that are saying you are children of God. And if you are children of God, you and I ought to imitate God. Well, how does God walk? God walks in love. Look, it goes on to explain this. Be therefore imitators of God as dear children. Watch dad. Do what dad does and walk in love. Now he not just points to God the father, he now points to God the son, Jesus Christ, and says even as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. What did Jesus Christ do other than Go to the Calvary and die upon the cross to shed his blood for the payments of our sins. Jesus Christ died upon the cross to atone for our sins. And his death upon the cross primarily was an atonement for the sins of mankind. But it was also an example for us to follow. He died sacrificially for you, showing his love. Therefore, you and I. Ought sacrifice ourselves for others. As he walked in love, so ought you walk in love, willing to sacrifice ourselves so that we can experience adoption. Adoption. I've counseled many people as a pastor over the years. Pastor, I really struggle with anger. I really struggle with anger, but I think it's because my father was an angry person. And because my father was an angry person, now I'm an angry person. Whoa, 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 hold on. You've been adopted into a new family. Your father is not angry. Your father is God. He's filled with joy and laughter and love. Man, I really struggle with bitterness, and I really struggle with, with, uh, with gossip, and I really struggle with, with fear. Pastor, I really struggle with fear because my mother was filled with anxiety, and I'm filled with anxiety. I'm, I'm just so much like my mother. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've been adopted into a new family. And in this new family, you are no longer like those who are in Adam. We've been studying this for months. You are now in Christ. And for you to blame your sinful ways on your family is to not think theologically true, to realize I am in Christ, I am therefore to follow the ways of my new family. I am to be an imitator of God as his child. I've been adopted, you see. To truly grasp the importance of this passage, we have to understand the Roman mindset of children. You see, in Rome, children were not valued, not not like they are in our society. In fact, the reason they were not valued is because children died at a very early age in Rome, Ephesus being a territory of Rome. Forty percent of children died before their fifth birthday, forty percent, four out of ten. normally a name would not even be given to a child until the child was one week old because of the high rate of infant mortality normally if a family could not afford a child and this was quite a bit because of the poverty rate in rome the family would take the extra child and they would practice something that was culturally very accepted in Rome. And throughout the Roman Empire, it was called exposure. And what they would do with that child, they didn't consider them fully human, really. They, they had a good excuse. They could not afford the child. And so they took that child and they would place them on the side of the road. Or they would literally take them to the city dump. And they would place the child in the dump. They would throw the child away. They would not kill the child. They would allow the elements to expose the child and the child would die. Often because of the heat of the summer or the cold of the winter or wild animals who would come and eat the children. This is, this is why we have the, um, the legend of Romulus and Remus who founded the city of Rome. You remember they were raised by wolves. Well, how did they get to the point where they were raised by wolves? It's because their parents were poor and they threw them out. That's the story. It was very, very... Um, very popular during that day and age those dumps would be filled with young women especially little girls because the little girls were not valued in that world as much as little boys all little girls would be many little girls would be thrown out and any little boy with any type of physical disability would be thrown out by the way I'm so thankful I know I I preach against the sins of this society and this culture quite often but I thank God we do live in a society that sees value in those who are disabled. By the way, every time you pull into a parking lot and you see a parking, uh, parking space with a handicap sign on it, you ought to thank God you live in a society that does value the disabled. Every time you're a builder, sir, you're a builder, ma'am, and you're putting in, in ramps and all sorts of things that might be frustrating to you, praise God we live in a society that values the disabled, amen? amen. We need to celebrate the good as well as point out the ills. Men of ill repute, would walk by these dumps and they would often gather up the children as business opportunities. They would take the little girls and raise them to be prostitutes, pimp them out even as child prostitutes. They would take these children, the young boys, and sell them into slavery in their own city and around the Roman Empire. But something strange began to happen in the Roman Empire. Decades after a carpenter was crucified on a tree, decades later, the message of Jesus began to spread all over the Roman Empire, and little places called churches begin to sprout up. And these Christians began to view themselves not as Roman, Not as Corinthian, not as Ephesians, but they viewed themselves as Christians. They were followers of another way. They were followers of another king. They were part of another kingdom. And they also saw value in life. And they lived out that value of life by going through these dumps and literally saving these children and bringing into their homes and adopting these children. Historians will tell you one of the reasons why Christianity spread like wildfire for the first 250 years of Christian history is because of the amount of children that the Christians would take into their home, raise and teach the ways of Jesus, and Christianity spread all over the world. While the Romans were throwing their children out, Christians were raising the next generation of Roman Christians. The mindset is so obvious. Even whenever you see Jesus and his disciples, one day Jesus was out teaching and all of these little children came up to them and even the disciples had a Roman mindset. The disciples were like, get away from Jesus, get away from Jesus. And Jesus said, well, stop. Allow the little children to come unto me. Don't forbid them. In fact, he said, unless you come to me like one of these children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. This is the value of Jesus. He walked in love. In the same way that the Christians of the early church saw these wretched, poor, naked, and destitute children and brought them into their home, is the same way God saw you If your perception of coming to God was, well, I did this great search of all the religions of the world and I realized that God deserved me and I gave myself to Jesus because I'm one of his key players, you don't understand Christianity. You were a blind, wretched, poor, naked infant with no power, lying in a dump, ready to be eaten by a lion. And Jesus Christ came by and saved your soul he rescued you and not only did he rescue you he did not rescue you to be part of his slave group he rescued you away from this family and he adopted you into this family and now he says to you be followers of god as his dear children Follow the example of your older brother, Jesus Christ. He loved us, and he now adopted us, which means my position in Christ ought to affect my disposition with others. Because I am in Christ, I have experienced love. Now I demonstrate love to those around me. So this is what he tells us, first and foremost, number one, I should walk in love. Can you say that with me together? I should walk in love. Say it again, say it again. I should walk in love. If I'm a child of God, if God is my Father, what should I do? How should I live my life? I should walk in love. Number two, I should walk in purity. Say number two with me. I should walk in purity. Say it again, say it again. I should walk in Purity, look what he says in verses 3 through 5. Paul goes on with the Romans, these, these Ephesians. He says, but fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for saints. He said, you're saints. You're not sinners anymore, so don't let these things be named among you, fornication, sexual sin of any kind. Why? Because the sexual sin is found in the family of Adam, not in the family of Christ. Uncleanness, idol worship, following many gods rather than following one God. That's the family of Adam, not the family of Christ. Covetousness, greed. See, I don't know why it is, but sometimes we as Christians think, well, a little bit of fornication, a little bit of greed... A little bit of idolatry. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal because this is how they live, not how we live. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. That is, this is not how our family works. Do you get the point? Do you get the point? Months ago, I said this. I said, salvation works this way. You were a lost orphan, and now you've been adopted into the family. I'm like your older brother who's been here for a while. And I'm explaining to you what the family is like. And some of you come in and you think, well, i got to be a fornicator. I've got to be involved with sexual sin because that's who I am. And I say, no, 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 that's not how our family works. Say, well, i got to worship many gods. I've got to be a greedy person. No, because that's who they are. That's not who, that's not who we are. And as long as you are here, we forsake those things because we are in this family, neither filthiness what else should we not be a part of? Filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. He's talking about obscene stories. He's talking about filthy language. He's talking about the ability of an individual men to get around and just speak in a filthy way with each other, and women getting around and saying filthy things to one another. Say, God cares about how we... How we talk, yes, God cares about how we talk. Do you know why? Because using obscene language and speaking of somebody in such a sexual way, listen to me, listen to me, I don't care if, I don't care if it's in a, in, a, in a locker room or not. If you're a Christian, don't you understand what this does? It degrades humans and it treats them as mere objects rather than the image bearers of Christ. It's the same reason why Christians don't view pornography. Why? Because it objectifies as just merely meet that which is the image of God. We as humans that are in Christ, in God's family, we raise to a high level the view of humanity. Why? Because we are followers of Christ in God's image. He says, so we should abstain from these. For this you know that no... F- why? And now he gives a why. Look, it goes on. For this you know... That no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous person who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. His point is, those who are in Christ have an inheritance with God the Father. God owns everything, and if you are in His family, you inherit everything. Everything. Those who are not in Christ, Adam, Adam gave away everything the moment he sinned. Adam has no inheritance and therefore will never inherit the kingdom of God. Yet often we who live here talk and live and act and are greedy and are lustful like those who live here. You're acting like you're living in the wrong family, is what he's saying. Does that make sense, Jordan? You're here, you're adopted. You're an inheritor of all that is God's. Why are we acting like we're here? And so he explains this to us in very, very clear terminology. You say, Well, Pastor, but that's the way they are. But that's the way I used to be. Okay, listen, listen. There is a royal distinction between who you were and who you are. Listen, listen. There is a big royal distinction between who you were. And who you are. That's why you don't think of sex the way they think of sex. It's the why you don't look at money the way they look at money. Do you understand? That's why when you go through a great tragedy and trial, you don't look at that tragedy and trial the way they look at that tragedy and trial. Because you believe in a sovereign God who is working all things together for good to them who love God. That's why we don't talk the way they do. We don't live the way they do. We don't walk the way they do. We're different than they are, and we're different than who we were. Now, again, if you as a Christian are sitting back and saying, I'm pretty much the same from before I came to Christ to now I came to Christ, then the question is, did you come to Christ? Because those who come to Christ experience a radical conversion and change. Change. It may not happen all at once, but through your life, you begin to see shifts in mindset. You begin to live more like those in the family of Christ than those that are in the family of Adam. Now, I know what some might be thinking. Some might be thinking, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Josh, I think you're making a big deal about a lot of things. Paul, I think you're making a big deal about a lot of things that really are not that big of a deal. All right, then look at verse number six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't be fooled, listen to me. There are gonna be a lot of Christians who try to trick you into thinking, yeah, I mean, you could be in the family of God and still live like you're in the family of Adam. Listen, a lot of people try to trick you with empty words. For because these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Because of these sins, don't you see? Doesn't the logic and the rationale of your mind see that those who do these wicked things, who live in Adam, They reap the consequences of their sins. You're over here in this family. Isn't it pretty obvious that you've lived long enough to watch people who live in fornication? What happens to these people? Are they happy? What happens to somebody who lives a life of greed? Are they happy? What happens to somebody who lives a life of idolatry? Are they happy? What happens to somebody who lives a life of bitterness and unforgiveness, anxiety and worry? Are they happy? The answer is, of course they're not happy. So don't let any of them convince you that this is a preferable lifestyle. Be in Christ. Wow, the Bible is very, so so scripturally clear here. Look at verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So what have we seen? We've seen thus far in this passage very clearly and very succinctly this. If I am a child of God, as a child of God, I am to walk in love the way God walks. I am to walk in purity because I'm part of His family. And then number three, I should walk as light. You say, Pastor Josh, shouldn't it say I should walk in light? Well, that's not what it says, it says you should walk as light. Look at what it says in verse 8. For you were once darkness. Are you following along? Do you see it in verse 8? What does it say? I'm going to read the first few words, and then I want you to read the fifth word. For you were once what? I'm going to say it again. For you were once what? You were once what? Notice it doesn't say you were once in darkness. It says you were once darkness. (laughs) You were not just in darkness, you were part of the problem and so was I. It goes on, but you are now, but but now you are light. It doesn't say you are now enlightened, it says you are now light. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came into the world and was the light shined unto all men. And the Bible says that they took Jesus and they extinguished that light. But before he did, he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. That means you are to light up this world. You are the light. It goes on to explain verse number uh, nine. Walk as children of light, for the for the fruit of the spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord in a dark world, what happens is you shine as light on things that please God. As you live out your life, you walk as Christ in love. You walk in purity. Your light shines and it points out the beautiful things that God is pleased with. But it also points out things that God is not pleased with. That's what light does. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. He's saying, if you live over here in light, your light will result in exposing the darkness. By the way, that's why those who are still in Adam often don't like those who are in Christ because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and they don't like their darkness exposed. Christians throughout history have kind of misunderstood what it means to shine in the darkness. What sometimes we think that means is to turn on our flashlight and go looking for darkness. I see darkness in you over there. Of course you see darkness, they're Corinthians. You better stop being so dark over there. Well they're dark because they're Romans. I see how wicked this world is and as we shine our light we try to expose their darkness. That's not the point of this passage. It's saying as you are light, you will naturally by your light expose the darkness around you. Let me give you an example. Let me explain this in a few ways. What do I mean by this? If you live a life of generosity, what will happen is you will naturally expose the weaknesses of a life of greed. You have family, you have friends who are not followers of Jesus Christ and they're watching you. And if you live a life of generosity, you shine that light. You don't have to point out the greed of the family of Adam. Bunch of greedy people out there. All you have to do is live a life of generosity, and it will naturally expose the weaknesses of living a life of greed. People will watch you and be like, man, I'd rather be a generous person than a greedy person. Why are you so generous? Oh, I'll tell you why I'm so generous, because Jesus Christ was generous with me. He died upon the cross, saved me from my sins. Now I get to go to heaven. And your natural light of life of generosity will expose how bad it is to live a life of greed. Do you see? live a life of sexual fidelity be unique in this world as a follower of Christ that's why he gives the example be somebody who says celibacy until ceremony sorry I just don't have sex until I get married that's weird today why because they live in darkness and then once you get married only have sex with the person you got married to And be faithful to that person. You say, that's weird. I know because they live in darkness and we are light in the darkness. And this is what will happen. This is what will happen. You don't have to get a flashlight and say, you bunch of wicked fornicators. No, no. What you do is just live your light of sexual purity and the natural living and shining of your light will expose the weaknesses of a lifestyle filled with sexual sin. So the people in your life that you're trying to tell about Jesus, you won't have to shove Jesus down to their throat. They'll be like, why are you so happy? Seems like your family works. It seems like your relationship is good. But my relationship sucks. Everybody I know, their relationship falling apart. What's going on? He'd be like, oh man, it's not me. I used to be in darkness, but then I followed Jesus Christ and he told me to live in purity. And as I live in purity, man, it's amazing how Jesus has changed my life. And your living in light will naturally expose the weaknesses of living in darkness. This is the example over and over in Scripture. If you live a life dedicated to one God, it will expose the weaknesses of serving other gods. If you live a life of dedication to the truths of Jesus Christ, it'll expose the weaknesses of every other lifestyle. This is what it means to live in the light rather than trying to point out other people's darkness. He explains further, look at verse 12. For it is shameful, talking of Christians, it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Yet today, as Christians, we not only speak of it, we validate it, we affirm it, we encourage others to practice these sins. This is not love. But all things are exposed, are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says in verse number 14, I love this, Awake, you who are asleep! arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That is, wake up, sleeping Christian. Wake up to the reality of this truth. Stop, number one, living like you are in darkness. Stop, number two, pretending that darkness has some kind of a valid lifestyle, and wake up to this truth, and what will happen is that those in darkness will be drawn to the light, and they will see truth for the first time, and they will be born again by by seeing your light, you'll point them to Jesus Christ. The concept here is show, don't tell. I'm not saying as a Christian you should not talk about Jesus. What I am saying is there are a lot of Christians today who are talking about Jesus, but you're living like the devil. You know what I'm talking about? Amen. That's why some of our friends and family are like, yeah, I'm going to follow you. You're, you're crazy. Show... Don't tell is a literary principle. It's it's a principle for writers, And, and filmmakers have taken the same concept into how they create films, show, don't tell. That is, don't tell me that the moon was shining brightly. Show me the glint of light that reflected off of the shards of glass that lay in the grass. Show, don't tell. It's far better for the reader, far better for the one watching the film to come to their conclusion and to deduce what is true rather than you directly telling them what is true. this This is why the Lion King was so good. They didn't open up saying once upon a time there was a lion who was the king of the realm and all of the other animals gave their fidelity as they bowed before the king. They didn't. They didn't tell you what did they do. Look at the photograph. They showed you. And by the end of that first scene, you completely understood everything and you had deduced what was true based upon what you saw. You came to your own conclusion. They all follow, most of that, they all follow the king. When Star Wars came out in 1977, they didn't begin by telling you there is a merciless villain named Darth Vader, and he has no mercy upon his enemies. No, instead of telling you, they showed you. The very first person you find, the first rebel, he picks him up by the neck and cracks his neck right there in front of you. You're like, oh, this guy ain't getting around. They showed you. They didn't tell you. You came to your own conclusions. This is a bad dude. When Steve Rogers was nothing but heart and a body of a weakling, they didn't tell you he had the heart of a hero. They showed you that he had a heart of a hero, though he had a body of a weakling, when there was a live grenade that was thrown out, and he presumed that he would die, but he jumps on the live grenade and says, Get away, get away! They showed you he was a hero. They didn't tell you he was a hero. So you could come to the deduction yourself Why is this important in literature, in film, and why is this important in the Christian life? Here's why. Because people believe deeply what they deduce. And they're very skeptical with what you tell them. So here are a lot of Christians (laughs) come in. They tell their family, follow Jesus and your life will change. They They tell their friends, I'm telling you, Jesus is amazing, he changed me. And then they watch you, and your light doesn't shine because you don't walk in light. Your light doesn't shine because you don't walk in purity. Your light doesn't shine because we don't walk in love. And what we say means nothing because it is all muted by how we live, how we walk. And so he tells us walk. Because of all Christ has done for you, walk. Walk in light, walk in love, walk in purity. Now I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing as a Christian. You're like, that's a lot of responsibility and I'm not sure I can handle it. Because how many of you have tried to walk in love, light, and purity, and you're like, I try, I want to, but I'm really bad at it. How many of you are like, Josh, you're really bad at it. Okay, three of us, good. The rest of you are asleep. Wake up, oh, Christian. Okay. You say, how do I do it? And that is what is so perfectly beautiful about the book of Ephesians. The next few verses tell you how. And that's next week's sermon. Walk in in the spirit it's a sermon I'm entitled. I'm walking here that's next Sunday at 830 I can't wait to see you there let's pray father thank you for your word it's so clear to us from Scripture why we are to walk in love purity and light but Lord now we want to know how and as we contemplate throughout these next seven days The importance of us walking in love light and purity my prayer is that you would help every christian every one of us deeply and truly prepare our hearts to obey and follow your word as we are filled with your holy spirit in jesus name we pray